This is the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. Kane Pittman back on deck this week and alongside my friend and colleague Olga Nulich. And we're going to break down all the news from the week. And in the podcasting game, Olg, sometimes it's all about timing that we are recording this at approximately 11 a.m. Tuesday morning. And just in the last 10 minutes, we have had the news break from the Illawarra Hawks that there is going to be a coaching change or Jacob Jacobus's time with the club has come to an end. So we're going to lead with that on this show. We're going to get to all the throwdown fallout from the weekend. And hey, I've got a question for you, Olgs. We're in early-ish November, mid-November, round seven in the books. And I want to ask you whether this is the day that we will look back and say, yep, that's when the contenders started to separate themselves in the NBL. So we're going to talk about some of the teams at the top and what happened over the weekend. And we also had an Aussie debut in the nba over the last few days as well so there is plenty to talk about on this podcast but Olgs, this is your time to shine the illawarra hawks i'm not sure if this is surprising news but jacob jacomas yeah it is it, the timing is surprising uh yes. and just for everyone at home we had planned to record this pod an hour earlier uh <laughs> and i had i forced kane to just sit back and relax do a little costume change while I was just getting all my ducks in a row, making calls to people, getting wind of this information. Um, and that is, a, so this morning, so recording this on, on a Tuesday morning, earlier this morning, uh, Jacob Jacobus was called in uh, to the office of the, the decision makers at the Illawarra Hawks. And so he was there with, with, with uh, Stu Taggart and Matt Campbell um, and, and the uh, the owner of that team, uh, Jared Novelli. And he was told that his time at the helm of the Illawarra Hawks have come to an end. The timing is Maybe. interesting, and I say that because he initially signed a three-year deal at the start of last season. When last season finished, where they were 3-25, and right? Worst record in, in franchise history. He signed a one-year extension, so they basically gave him a do-over for that really bad year. Because that bad year did come uh, with a ton of injured imports. It was a, it was a really irregular year for him. And so they gave him a do-over, basically. And so you think this is a guy who has this season remaining on his contract and has two more seasons left. And so they have to pay out three years' worth of a coaching contract to a guy to not coach their team. So that's why the that's why the timing was interesting. I thought they'd give him until the end of the season. Um, but the actual sort of outcome is not uh, that surprising at all. They are two and seven right now. They don't really look like they're going to get their stuff together at this point they, they've sort of they've fallen really far behind they're at the bottom of the ladder doesn't look like they're gonna they're like they're gonna figure it out the Perth Wildcats have figured it out Illawarra Hawks haven't really and so Jacob Jacobus out of a job Justin Tatum goes from assistant coach to interim head coach while this team searches for a new head coach um and and look coaching changes in the middle of seasons are not common we saw it last season with James Duncan, but it's not usually something we see in the NBL. So this is a significant move for this team. Uh, whether it actually gives them sort of the fruits of success beyond this, we'll have to wait and see. I'm glad you mentioned the extension last offseason because, yes, there were reasons why this team was terrible last year, and you mentioned the 3-25 and record. But that's just a ridiculous business decision. Why are you extending... Jacob Jacobus at that point in time and not at least seeing what it looks like this year. What is the urgency? Why are you making that decision? So I'm sure they're sitting back now and, and questioning why that was the case. That didn't make sense to me at the time. And now when you move on your head coach at round seven, 
I think that's part of the scrutiny of everyone looking at this decision and asking why they did that uh, as a business, because we understand that for some of these franchises, it's challenging. It's challenging whether it's recruiting players, whether it's recruiting the big name coaches, sponsors, all those types of things. And um, that just doesn't seem like a smart decision and it didn't seem like it at the time. As far as this team this year, uh, they're two and seven. And I don't think the roster fits very well together they've they've really struggled defensively but they've even struggled offensively and to me if you're looking at the backcourt of these players Justin Robinson Tyler Harvey uh, offensively is where they've struggled and they've played a lot of minutes together so far this season for the Hawks but the offensive rating uh, is not good and I, I think a lot of the problems for this team are through the roster construction and I know there was a lot of people that were high on the Hawks coming into this year I wasn't quite with that Theory. I was one of them. Um, I was high on them. Really? Yeah. Well, I actually, I wasn't referencing you. I know just that there was in general a fair bit of buzz because there's yeah. some individ- individual talent there. Um, but I- I'm not sure whether too many things feel like they're going to change immediately uh, moving on. Yeah. So the on the extension, it, it felt like it was the Hawks showing some grace to a, to a first-year head coach who was given a really rough deal. Um there was a ton of injuries. Did they need so they, to, that, that that's the thing because he was he was initially given a three year deal. He had two years remaining, right? He had like that. That is you. You're showing enough trust in this guy anyway with two years remaining on that deal. So you didn't have to rush into it. If he was great this season, then you could have extended him one or two more seasons. Um, if, if, and so so that's why I, I understand why people are confused at what that extension was. It was the Hawks showing grace whether they needed to do that. I, both morally and professionally, I don't, I, 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 the answer is probably no. Um, and then on the roster construction, so my going into it, I thought Justin Robinson, I like, I sort of, I believed in him. And Tyler Harvey, we've seen what he can do. I thought he was actually quite good last season. And I really like Gary Clark. And I think Gary Clark is showing that he is one of the most talented imports in the league. It's taken him a little bit to get to get used to this this league, but he's he's showing that now. And then I trusted the depth of this team too. What what I didn't factor in was Jacob Jacromis was still basically a first year head coach and so coaching matters uh, if you put Dean Vickerman as the head of this team I'm sure they would be better just because he is just way more seasoned and he's been through the lumps of being a head coach uh, and then the other one was defensively I, d- I don't know if the, the balance was there I don't know if the depth was there defensively I, I trusted the depth offensively with, with Jungjun Lee and, and uh, Todd Blanchfield coming in and Lockie Olbrick I like these pieces but defensively, they never clicked, and then they don't have a backup point guard. And that's the other thing, where it is ostensibly A.J. Johnson, but the team, the coaching staff never thought, well, as soon as they saw A.J. Johnson, they never thought he was a point guard. And so all of a sudden, you think you have this lottery pick point guard as your backup. Instead, they have no one, right? So they, they played Wani Swakalabulik as the backup point. They played, they played A.J. Johnson at times. They played Bawali Bales at times. And so not having that continuity as a backup point guard really hurt this team as well. And so... The, the roster construction is one that in hindsight, I think wasn't really, wasn't done very well. And so that's why I understand the the, the desire and the sort of the reactivity to make a change. Uh, but I don't think Justin Tatum is going to come in and whoever the next head coach is going to be is going to come in and all of a sudden make this a really functional basketball team. Yeah, if you look at the most used five-man lineups of Gary Clark, as you mentioned, Justin Robertson, Sam Froling, Tyler Harvey and Wani Swakala-Bullock. They played 101 possessions together so far. This is via Spatial Jam. 
defensive rating of 137.4, which is obviously atrocious. And then on the offensive end, it was still only uh, 107.6. So a net rating of around minus 30. They were just getting destroyed, but they weren't able to score with any efficiency. And defensively, they weren't slowing anyone down. So I think the next logical conversation with the Hawks is that everyone's going to start mentioning these big name coaches that are on the sidelines right now and asking whether they're going to take the job. Me personally, I look at this situation and I say, if I'm a coach that is highly credentialed and there are some out there, I'm not taking this job now. Talk to me in the offseason potentially and maybe I can put my team together. If it's something that actually appeals to me, we will wait and see. But even though there's going to be a lot of hype, I just don't see anyone joining this situation at 2-7, and the season really already gone, and, and diving in with this roster that they had no part in putting together. Yeah, and so I feel like we can just we can already cross off some names if we really want to. So, <laughs> so, so basically, anytime we hear of a head coach potentially being uh, potentially being fired or, or a vacancy potentially opening up, it's Trevor Gleason and Brian Gorgian. Right, they're the it two is. because both of those guys are currently, I say, unemployed. They're currently not employed by a professional basketball team. Um, and so Trevor Gleason, I don't think Trevor Gleason wants this job. Uh, he is currently being paid by the Raptors. He is enjoying himself in Perth. He is enjoying his summer. I feel like it is he, he would not take a job like this. Uh, and then there's Brian Gorgian. I, Brian Gorgian does not want a professional job this season. He wants to focus on the Boomers. And I think the last thing that Brian Gorgian would do would be to go ahead and retake the Illawarra Hawks job that he left for his longtime assistant, Jacob Jacomis. Um, I just think morally he wouldn't do that to his friend. Um, but or he also just doesn't want a job this offseason. He's focused on the boomers. And so those guys would be off the table. I don't know who else is out there um, or who would just come and take this job at this point in the season because you're not just... Unless you sign a multi-year deal, if you join this season, you're potentially putting your name on a team that might that will probably end up as the worst in the league, record-wise, or at the very least, bottom two or three. And so, again, it, this isn't a palatable job. This isn't some attractive job that someone can come and take unless you're a young head coach who is going to sign a multi-year deal. And I don't know who's out there because it, it was... You think of who's next in the sort of coaching pipelines. Like, it was Justin Shuler. He got that Brisbane job, and he's doing a pretty good job at it. And then the next one is probably Jacob Chance. But I don't know if Jacob Chance is ready to jump ship from Melbourne United, who's doing really well, and he's being given, like, a really cool level of autonomy. I don't think he's ready to leave that very soon. And so, yeah, the, the options out there are very scarce. And I just think, ultimately, if you have a fresh slate, a clean slate in the offseason, maybe that's when uh, this job does look a little bit more appealing. But we'll see what happens with the Hawks over the next few weeks because... Uh, no question, and not to continue to link it back to Brian Gorgian, but no question, those two seasons that, uh, or those few seasons that he was in charge of the Hawks and they were back in the playoff mix and they were having the rivalry with the Sydney Kings, uh, it was good for the league and it was just flat out highly entertaining. So hopefully the Hawks can bounce back after this. And for Jacob Jacobus, this was a really difficult and challenging situation for him to walk into, not only following on from Gorge, but it has not been a perfect scenario, whether it was the health stuff and now as we're seeing this roster that's been put together and uh, yeah, he's a part of that, but it is uh, obviously been a tough go up there at Illawarra. So we'll see what happens over the next few weeks. Uh, there was some pretty damn good basketball over the weekend though. And the throwdown was a game that we had lagged for weeks that this was going to be a real measuring stick for the Southeast Phoenix. I could not wait to see 
uh, how they sat against the United team. Now, I came into this game highly disappointed that there's no Matthew Delavadova, there's no Luke Travers, there's no Ian Clark. Ariel Hukporti is limited. He played, but he yeah. was limited. So I was highly disappointed. I felt like this was, well, the Phoenix are going to come in. They'll just win this game, and so they should. But we're not really going to learn a lot about both of these two teams. Well, I was even more disappointed by the fact that the Phoenix could not win this game, and they end up going down 92 to 83. And I just feel like if you're the Phoenix, yes, you can take lessons from this. And I've seen Mike Kelly today suggesting that will be the case. And it's still so early in the season. But they had to walk away thinking, how did we lose this game with a depleted Melbourne United roster like this? This was a lose-lose for Southeast. Because if they won the game, then, <laughs> then they, they can't then go ahead and announce themselves as a legitimate yeah. contender because Melbourne wasn't healthy. If they lose the game... They just had to tick the box. You... Yeah, just, just win it and just continue ticking along. And you'll get there. Um, but then losing the game is how, how can you lose to an undermanned Melbourne United team? And I think the reverse ended up happening where if if losing to an undermanned Melbourne United means that it's it's impossible for us to put you in that top tier that I think most of us have Melbourne and Sydney in. And then for Melbourne, I think it bolstered them a little bit too because it's like, okay, like Dean Vickerman is a hell of a coach and they can guard and it, it showed us, it gave us a really good glimpse of the depth that they have, not just like the fact that they have Chris Golding who can just step up and drop 30 on, on any given night, but the fact, that, the fact that Flynn Cameron can come in and provide that sort of spark and Carl Bowen can give you functional minutes too. This, this showed me that Melbourne United is not, not better than we thought, but they are exactly what we thought they were, which is a team that is unbelievably talented and really locked into their processes and no matter what happens to that lineup when it comes to ins and outs and injuries, they they are just as well drilled as any team is going to get this season. Um, and this was it was it was a win win for them too because they lose that game, it's whatever. They win the game, they look like absolute heroes, and that's what they look like. You're exactly right because if United did lose this game, we would have been having the conversation here, and I would say, well, it doesn't matter. They didn't have any of their star players, but instead, you actually walk away feeling better about their prospects moving forward. Now, I don't know about you, but you're halfway through the second quarter. The Phoenix are leading by seven. And I thought that it was following a script that would suit the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. I thought they were able to play physical. I thought they were able to, to actually create turnovers, score off those turnovers, get to the free throw line as well. And then just in the last few minutes before halftime, for Melbourne United to actually take a lead into the break, yeah. that was the moment that I just thought the game was over. Like they, Phoenix felt like they were on top. And yet we're looking at a halftime lead for United. It made no sense. And I just thought, well, they, they might just roll on now. And they did in the end. I reckon Mike Kelly was thinking, I think when, when Flynn Cameron hit his like second three, it's just like, oh, like not, not this. Like, of course, Melbourne United managed to get this really effective young player who barely plays for them at the best of times, but can, but can just come in and just beat us. And that's, that's what happened. And then it's just, it was something... I, I went back and rewatched the game, and Nick Kyrgios said it on the broadcast. He said that Chris Golding is sort of entering his villain mode, this, this villain phase in his career, and I see it. As soon as he, as soon as Nick Kyrgios said it on the broadcast, I was like, oh, of course he is, because every shot this dude hits is just heartbreaking, and he's done that for his whole career. Um, but it was it was that shot that fa shot fading in the corner into his own bench. That's just, you think you're playing really good D. He did this against the Illawarra Hawks a few weeks ago as well. You think you're playing good D on him, 
you 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 think that you're you're working really well everything's clicking for you guys and he goes and hits shot after shot of just stuff that these are like nba level shot making um and he just kept doing it and then he hit that one from 30 feet out in the middle of the fourth quarter and it's just it is this is just such a tough team to get past when you have someone like him who you have to send two bodies to this is almost like i'm gonna throw this at you it's sort of like what we thought it was going to be with Damon Giannis, where Chris Golding and Joe Luala Chua Jr. are on the floor at the same time. You have to send two to Chris Golding. You have to send the help there, right? Because you can't give him an inch of space. And when JLA has a down low, you have to send two to him as well. So what do you do in those situations, especially when you have someone like Shea Ily out there as a connector and when Delhi comes back and he's that too. And when Travis comes back as like the ultimate NBL connector, what the hell do you do? So I think it's interesting because we had conversations early in this season quite a bit about Melbourne and we were certain, like everyone else, that the defense was going to be an absolute force. And but it is. I I certainly questioned, well, let's just see about the offense. Remember, Joe Lawala Chul wasn't there, Ian Clark uh, has, has had a few niggles through the season and Daly was you know, working through this continued transformation that we've seen from him over the last 18 months. So... I asked about shooting from the outside and overall offense. In this game here, I think it's still going to be fascinating when all the players are there. They're definitely going to have the options. But the thing that I do like about this game is that you've just got two guys that just flat out score the ball. Melbourne yep. United attempted 72 shots in this game. 36 of those shots came from JLA and Chris Golden. So the two guys took 50% <laughs> of their shot attempts. And as someone that has been screaming out, for Chris Golding to just take more and more threes. I don't care how many attempts it is to see him go six for 15 in this game. And you might look back and go six for 15. Is that good? It's 40% from three. That is extremely good. And he can take 15 a game and he will be a highly effective and highly efficient player for this offense. And the thing that you have to take into account with Chris Golding is these 15 shot attempts aren't wide open catch and shoot. He's got multiple guys all over him. As you pointed to, he's fading from the basket. He's shooting them from the Kmart logo. Like These shots are are absolutely outrageous and of the highest degree of difficulty. And he's 35. And I didn't mean to pivot to this point, but I wrote about it in Headline or Storyline. I think you think that JLA is an MVP contender, and I'm not really here to to argue or push back against that because we've seen it before. But I don't think we talk enough about what Chris Golding brings to this team because of that defensive gravity, because of the outside shooting, because of the movement off the ball that he has to do to get the the orange in his hands. I, and it maybe is because he's a bit of a villain, but I don't know whether he gets the love he should get. I, I'm trying to think of why he's not an MVP candidate. And, and that, and it's tough. I, I don't know the answer to it. Um, he's, there's a good chance that we get to the end of this season and through all of the the ins and outs that Melbourne United is going to go through because guys are going to get injured, whatever. Chris Golding, so far, has just been the consistent through line where he has been their most consistent, reliable player over the past few seasons, right? Last season, he had a crazy efficient year. I think maybe his, his, his most efficient season ever in the NBL or something like that. Um, and so you have... Him this season, where he's averaging some of his best production in a really long time, the efficiency is good, and he's just so consistent. And so my thinking was that Joe Luala Chul Jr. was 
going to be just more imposing. Uh, what he does is way more imposing. I think his numbers are going to end up being better, and I think he'll be able to produce and have the usage to, to get there. But when we look back at it, we might think that Joe Luella Jr. might may be like their, their best player, but Chris Golding might be the most important player. And I don't yeah, know what MVP is at that point because valuable right. is, is subjective or it's it's ambiguous. So I thought about this. A little shower. It's just a little NBL shower thoughts from me. And I was thinking about this podcast that we were going to do. <laughs> and I thought to myself, do I think that Melbourne United can win their title if they lose Joe Lawala Chul? And I think they could. Now, do if I they think lose that Melbourne Joe United? Jr.? Yeah, if he wasn't there for the postseason, I still think they can win because I think that they can they can base uh, their whole game over their defense, which we've already seen can be absolutely utterly dominant without JLA. Yeah. You're putting a lot on Ariel Hook forty, no question. You're going to absolutely need Ian Clark to to step up offensively and hopefully be healthy that time of year. But I still think that they could win the title because the defense is that damn good. If they lose Chris Golding. I don't think they can. I don't, I don't care who else is there. I don't think that they can win the title. So, and and again, I don't think Chris Golding is going to be an MVP finalist. It's more just the idea, should we look at him like that? Should we talk about him more? And I think the answer is probably yes. But what do you think about that little scenario I just came up with? I I, I don't know if I agree. Um, yeah. I just think, I just think Golding is, just from the personnel they have, I think Golding's more replaceable. Um, because Golding what? goes out. No, 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 no. As, oh, don't don't make that face at me. Go, let's say Golding is out of the lineup, then it's just mm-hmm. Ian Clark steps in. Whereas, mm-hmm. and that's like a that's a similar skill set. You still have creation. You still have shooting there. Whereas if JLA drops out, like unless Rob Lowe stays, which I think they they would be fine with that. But yeah. there's no like there's no similar like like for like replacement of JLA um, because. He's someone who could lead the league in scoring if he wants to. Um, he's someone who draws multiple defenders, and so I don't. I just don't see. Yeah, I don't. I don't see that. I think as much as as, as important as Chris Golding is, in the same way that we're gonna go to your boomers rankings a bit later, right? Yeah. And I don't. Oh, do I give it away? Because I want to make an analogy here. Can I give out one of them? Yeah. Okay. So you have Josh Giddy as your most important boomer like not no surprise right but i yes. think he's I, I think he's like kind of replaceable in the sense that if he goes down you have dante exam to come in and you can still function in a similar way now josh giddy is, is way better in the same way that i think chris golding is a better nbl player than ian clark but you have someone who can step in and the function of your team stays kind of similar whereas we saw what happened when they lost when the boomers lost jock landale the, there wasn't a like for like replacement to to allow you to be pre- like to, to function in the same way. That's my argument here. Not that someone is better or, or, or worse or whatever, but just there's there's a, a like for like replacement there. I think we need to continue this conversation on various platforms, different platforms, and get more opinions because I just think it's interesting. And again, you yeah. say what you say, and I sit back and say. Okay. Yeah, I can see Olgs is making some decent points there, but we'll continue that conversation. And oh, it's just superb podcast craft from you, just teasing what we've got coming on uh, a little later in the podcast. Sydney Kings, we're sticking with the big guns here today because, uh, as I did mention from the start of the podcast, this might be the time where we look back and say, 
Yeah, it, it was pretty clear that there was separation at the top from the contending teams. And of course, we're still going to look at this crazy play-in race. And we're going to ask ourselves which one of these teams might be able to slip into the top two. But if you look at the standings right now, and you're a Sydney Kings fan, and there's been starting lineup change changes. There's been guys in and out of the lineup. There's been young players in the rotation that just haven't played a lot of basketball. And you're seven and three. You're only one game behind Melbourne United in the loss column. And I still don't think the Sydney Kings are at their best. And I think that they would admit that. But you just see time and time again from the depth on this roster and their ability to execute in the fourth quarter and make big plays. And not just one guy that can make big plays. Six guys that will put their hand up and try and take the big shot. The Sydney Kings are just threatening in a major, major, major way. And I think, and you're going to hear this from everywhere, but I don't think they're close to being as good as they can be. Um, they're not close to their ceiling. The The thing with them is it seems like they're getting by on a mixture of just the talent they have because they are very talented, obviously. Um, and just some of the continuity that they've had from previous seasons and, and, that, and part of their roster. They're still... And, and then we see glimpses of what Mahmoud Abdel-Fatah wants to incorporate and, and the offense he runs and their, their switchy defense and we've seen them be effective in glimpses but not consistently which makes it even more impressive that they're seven and three and they've got by like this uh which which includes some like pretty decent wins and so yeah they're it- a team that i'm extremely high on just because i don't think they're close to their ceiling and like jalen adams is it doesn't it doesn't look like he's gotten out of second gear yet DJ Ho, he's only just now, he's just come back into the lineup, but he's only now starting to find his spots again and showing us that, oh, I, this is what DJ Ho is. He is this like incredible two-way guy who's also an insane shot maker. And so, yeah, once everyone's healthy and once I think they click a bit more, then I'm, like, they're, it's it's them and Melbourne. And I don't, I don't even put Melbourne in a tier of their own at this point because of where I think Sydney ceiling is. Well, just as a side note, you know I've still got Tazzy lurking around. By the way, they've been Sydney twice. <laughs> I'm just going to throw it out there. We won't get onto Tazzy today. Maybe next week we'll bring the Jack Jumpers back into the conversation. But to your point, uh, DJ Hogus played four games. Jalen Galloway almost forgotten a little bit here over the last yeah. couple of weeks because they've continued to win. He's only played six games and he looked like he was uh, easily on the rise. Just another little side. I've got so many questions. I'm just randomly going in my head and I want to throw at you now. So... Please. MVP, if you had if you had to select right now, and this is on the spot, is there a guy that stands out? Because I do think the man that you just mentioned, a guy that's already won the damn award, and yeah. is still only shooting twenty nine percent from three, mind you, and putting up uh, just a tick under nineteen points per game. So he's probably going to end up twenty plus points along with the assists, along with the closes, closing play, and everything else he does. Uh, I might have Adams at the top now. Uh, the the only thing that so when we talk about, we spoke about it with Melbourne, where I think an MVP generally has to be like imposing, and I just don't think Jalen Adams has been as imposing as he could be. And that just might just it might just be how he's figuring out where his spots are back in the NBL and with this new team and a new head coach. But it, that that's what that's what makes me reticent to say Jalen Adams. I think it's probably Jalen Adams though, because he has been. If we're putting Sydney and Melbourne as these, you know. 1A, 1B sort of thing. They're in this tier of their own and you have to pick the most impressive player from that group. So, the mo- yeah, the, the most productive, reliable, 
valuable player from that group. It's probably Jalen Adams. Um, so if it went to him today, I wouldn't. I'm very fine with that. Um, but I think this is a really cool part where it it doesn't it, it doesn't seem like there is someone. There's no standout yet, and I think that's a cool thing because it could be at this point it could be anyone. We could see Tazzy win two games in a row, Sydney drop one, Melbourne drop one, and all of a sudden Tazzy's in the top two and Milton Doyle's gone crazy again. So this is going to be like a constant shuffle. Uh, but right now I agree that it probably is Adams, but I don't feel great about it because I want to see him be more imposing. So I'm working on a little project and I was asked earlier today. Like a little, uh, to science, name... like a little science project? <laughs> Make a little volcano yes. over there in Bristol? Yes. <laughs> the, MV, the MVP volcano from Kate and Pittman. And I was asked for 10 MVP names and 10 is a lot. So there's some of these guys that are probably not going to win it, but in no particular order here, uh, the 10 names that really came to me off the top of my head, uh, Jalen Adams, just so I can write it down. Yeah. Adams, Milton Doyle. Yeah. Alan Williams. Yeah. Chris Golding, Joe Lawal Achul, Nathan Sobey, Jordan Crawford, Mitch Creeks, Parker Jackson Cartwright, Andy S. Bryce Cotton. <laughs> yeah. So Parker Jackson Cartwright, cross that off the list, just they're just not good yeah. enough, right? So yeah. it's, it's, that's difficult. Um, I struggle to see Sobey getting up there too. His shooting splits are not very good. I don't defensively, mm-hmm. I think he has to make more of an impact. Uh Creek, Creek is an interesting one. The, the Creek and Source one is is fun because they're both yeah. going to be super productive for their respect for their team. Um, whether their team's good enough yeah. to have them as a worthy MVP winner is a different question. Doyle, absolutely. Uh, CG, absolutely. JLA, absolutely. Crawford, similar thing with with Doyle. I just think I just think if one of them's going to win out, it would be Doyle. Um, and then Bryce is the the sneaky one because Perth is they're not fixed but they're figuring some stuff out and part of them figuring stuff out in in the the reason i say they're not fixed is because bryce cotton hides a lot of he's bryce cotton's a really good band-aid um and they have legitimately figured some stuff out defensively they the the rotations are tighter they've got christian doodle playing in different spots and they they tighten the rotation so they have figured stuff out but they have also won games on the back of bryce cotton being bryce cotton and so if they can con- continue to win games that way, then absolutely he's in this list. He's just, he's sort of like number five, but just like knocking on the door as like hard as one can. For some reason, and I'll never understand it because he's an all-time great of this league and someone that I just love watching play. But for some reason, when you mention Bryce Cotton, you get a little bit of pushback. Ah, it's Perth. And this is the Perth villain stuff. Uh, but I-, I can guarantee you, if, the Perth Wildcats continue to win games and Bryce Cotton continues to score the way he has been, nobody's going to remember the first seven games of this season. I can assure you that because there is still a long way to go this year. So that's why I think Bryce Cotton is clearly still in the mix. Now, I'll tell you what the yep. Perth Wildcats did. We're not going to talk about Perth today, but they put Jesse Wagstaff in the, in the rotation. And uh, let's be honest, <laughs> that has made a significant change uh, to the way the Perth Wildcats play because last time we spoke about them, we said, look, this is a bunch of individuals at this point in time. And we've seen that start to turn a little bit on top of the brilliance of Bryce Cotton that we've seen the last few weeks. So the Perth Wildcats are starting to rustle a little bit 
in this season. But uh, the point being, there are a lot of stars in this league. And if you go through that list, uh, maybe you have another name that wasn't in that uh, 10 MVP contenders. But uh, as I was going through, I just thought, damn, there is a lot of players that are having incredible seasons this year uh, in the NBL. But uh, while we're talking about lists, you teased this earlier in the podcast. So we have a new show on ESPN, Nothing But Net. You can watch it on Wednesdays and Saturdays. And it's a bit of fun. We're leading into NBA coverage on ESPN. We're having a laugh. We're talking NBA. We're talking NBL. We're in jeans and sneakers on TV. Heaps of fun. Casual. On Saturdays, (laughs) we get casual. So when people are at home (laughs) watching on the couch in their jocks, they're like, I can relate to this guy. He's in jeans and sneakers. This is cool. So this is Saturday morning. (laughs) <laughs> with Kane and Scooby and Aaron on nothing but net leading into the NBA. you got to make sure you check it out this weekend. But one of the lists I did last weekend was my top five most important boomers leading to Paris. So I'll go through my top five and then you can let me have it, Olgs, with your thoughts, your criticisms, and your straight-out abuse. Yeah. Number one, Josh Giddy. Number two, Jock Landau. Number three, Josh Green. Number four, Patty Mills. Number five, Benjamin Simmons. And uh, obviously, number one, Josh Giddy being the most important. So I probably did that list the wrong way around. But uh, as, as you look at that list, what uh, does stand out to you? And obviously, you just did mention uh, perhaps some thoughts that might lead us in a direction there with Josh Giddy. Yeah. So I, I, I wouldn't rue you for putting Giddy at number one, right? He's the is best it? player on the team. He's whom the team's offense revolves around. The team is built around him, right? So he's just, in function, their most important player, right? So there's no... That's fine. Landale, I think we just saw a great example of how important he is uh, yes. during this World Cup, right? And and there's also just not an elite big to back him up. Duop Breath is there, and we'll talk about him a little bit later, but there's just no... There's, there's no... You can't replace what Landale brings when it comes to the... the people in Australian basketball right now. Um, where I would disagree is Josh Green being there. Josh Green is very important. I think he's a starter for this team. I think him performing well is key to this team's success. I would, I'm would i bringing Ben Simmons up to that point. Um, nice. And, and not just because it's like, oh, Ben Simmons and, and he has to play in play for the Boomers first before we take him seriously as a Boomer. So all of, all of that aside, um, it's just... To be clear, Alks, sorry to cut in, but to be clear, like this list, and and you're doing it the same, I assume, but I'm doing this list assuming that everyone is available and healthy. So even if you feel like Ben Simmons isn't going to be there, that's not part of the criteria yet because we're assuming that he wants to play and he's ready to play. Yes. Um, And so I I have him as like that third most important player just because I think it was something the team was missing, Uh, whether it's that like other creator... um, that piece defensively, Gorge does want to switch everything, and I don't know if the pieces were there to do that reliably. With Ben at the four, I think you can. And so I, I think he just... It, for the way that Brian Gorge wants to play, which is really fast, a lot of possessions, very switchy, I think Ben Simmons is so important to that. And if he comes in, it changes the entire dynamic of this team. Um how him and Giddy play together is also a thing. You need to incorporate, if Ben wants to play, you need to incorporate him in, in somewhat of a significant way because he is talented on both ends of the floor. And so making 
figuring out how he and and Giddy and Landau all work together is important. And so those three as a trio is a really important thing for the Boomers going forward. Um, and then yeah, Green I think is important generally. Uh, and then Patty Mills, I don't know. Is he's important from like from like a sentimental perspective, but on the court. Uh, we're at a point where I'm curious as to what his role even is because he's he's practically not an NBA player right now because he's just sitting on the bench. We are we are aware of what he does internationally and and his credentials there, but I don't. I I just think there's potential for other guys to step up. I, I'd argue I, I'd arguably put Dyson Daniels ahead of Patty Mills as far as significance because I think it's more important for the Boomers to get Dyson Daniels to achieve his potential than it is for them to try to squeeze what, what Patty Mills has left in him. So I think when I was considering names that could come into the list, Dante Exum was absolutely one name because I think we saw not only at the Tokyo Olympics, but we've seen it at the FIBA World Cup just gone, that in moments when the boomers needed a boost, when they needed someone to come up with a loose ball, when they needed a guard to crash the glass, push the tempo, and quite honestly, just get a bucket. Dante Exum has become so reliable and we've already seen him get minutes with the Dallas Mavericks and I don't blame people for not understanding what Dante Exum has done the last few years in Europe. But the second that he signed that contract in Dallas, I was very confident that he was going to play because of all those little things that he brings on a Dallas team that hasn't played defense in the past. So Dante Exum was one guy that I think is very important to the program now. So he was someone that I considered bringing in. I just couldn't bring myself to move Patty Mills out of this list now. Now, you know, one of the things that I discussed with Brian Gordon a couple of weeks ago was the readiness of players to be at the FIBA World Cup. And he kind of pointed to the fact that there is a number of guys that were in that squad that just weren't playing in the NBA or who had missed significant time. So I think if we get to the Olympics next year and Patty just has not played at all, then there is going to be a question mark there. Oh, I've got... No yeah. doubt about that. But, I, you know, he's still got your 18 points, five rebounds, five assists. He was definitely a positive on the floor if you just look at the lineup data uh, with him playing with the Boomers at the World Cup. So I think I do think that, yes, there's transition. Yes, he can get better playing with those younger guys and they've, there's a role definition that they continually need to work through here. But I still think the skill set that he brings is something the Boomers need. I agree. Um I, I just think that there are going to be other guys who can step up in potentially a more impactful way. And and I yep. I point, and a lot of this I point defensively too, because that's something that Brian Gorge wants to lean into. He, he, he It seems like he's going to be pretty unwavering with how they defend, which is very switchy. I don't think they're going to be as unwavering as what, for example, the Sydney Kings are, which is basically switch no matter what. I, I think it'll be more nuanced than that. But having pieces like, like you said, Dante Eggs and like Dyson Daniels, these guys come in. Um, and a name that I'll throw out there again, I mentioned it in a column a few weeks ago, but Jalen Galloway. These sorts of pieces who are just way more versatile defensively and can play the way that Gorgian wants to play. I just, I think there's potential for these guys to, to really step up. And not that it's going to push Patty Mills completely aside. But I think that leaning into those sorts of skill sets may become more important for this team's success going forward. That's another thing yeah, too I'm as well. Looking, looking ahead, right? There's, I don't want to be too negative, but winning, but meddling at these Olympics is going to be unbelievably difficult. 
the the expectations should should be that they're probably not going to medal. If they do, that they they've got really cool talent. The boomers do, but I, but meddling at this Olympics will be unbelievably hard. If if there is progress, that would be a that would be a win for this program. And I think progress can come from blooding some of these young guys. And Dyson Daniels is one of those players that we hope at the Olympics is a rotation guy because that would be progress. He said that one tournament yep. where he was with the squad but just did not play a lot. And a little bit to a surprise of some, but we'll see whether he plays uh, next year in Paris. But he projects as one of the guys where there's room for growth. Uh, absolutely. And uh, final point on the defensive stuff uh, from me, I do think Liz Patty in those lineups, I, I think that it's okay if you do have a Ben Simmons who is your yep. four or five defensively, then I think it changes because then you can have a lineup full of guys that could do it. And let's face it, there aren't too many lineups out there in world basketball where you've got five dominant defenders who could switch everything. It, it, it's not necessarily uh, going to be completely detrimental to the program if you if you have one guy out there that isn't an all-world defender. So that's why I do think the Ben Simmons inclusion could help, even if you are someone out there that is anti-Ben on the boomers. We know you're out there, but maybe <laughs> by Paris, that will uh, change a little bit there. You mentioned players stepping up. And one of the players that did step up at the FIBA World Cup was DeWalt Reith. And yesterday, as we're recording this, we've seen him make his first NBA appearance with the Portland Trailblazers. And we see this so often with the Australian guys that we like to focus on, that opportunity means everything when it comes to the NBA and the destination that you go to. And what does the roster depth look like? And as a two-way player in Portland, terrible news for Rob Williams. He's out for the season with knee surgery. But that immediately made you think, okay, maybe Dwight Reith is a player here that's going to come in and get real NBA minutes. The first game after that, he does. It comes off the back of a dominant D-League outing. <laughs> and he plays real minutes in this game at Crypto against the Lakers. He's in the game in the first quarter. And he ends the night uh, with a, a team high plus 11. He was highly impactful at 11 points. He was not shy about getting his shots up, but he also had three <laughs> assists. And ultimately, he just looked really good and really comfortable out on an NBA floor. And I love that. So Portland will more than likely be kind of bad this season. And so I love that this is getting him some fairly decent reps going into what is probably going to end up being a non-playoff year for them where he can then get more consistent minutes getting NBA reps. The other thing I loved was eight three-point attempts. Um, yeah. The thing that people... In 14 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, right? But the thing that people will constantly talk about when gauging uh, if a player can translate to the NBA is what's the NBA skill. And he has shown that shooting can absolutely be his NBA skill. He's, I think, a really solid spot-up shooter. He, he showed it in the NBL. He's shown it throughout his career, even with the boomers. If I went back and looked, granted the volume isn't there, but I would say that the, the splits are actually quite good when it comes to his shooting, especially from downtown. And so um, I, I look at that and I think, okay, that's how he can stick in the NBA, him being able to, to legitimately stretch the floor. And if he can guard, and especially guard in space, then bet he's someone who can, who can stick there uh, because his age is working against him. And I guess his size is probably working against him to an extent because he's not that big and he's not some 20-year-old, right? He's I want to say he's... 25 26 and so uh maybe a bit older than that so yeah this is this was a really good 
like there was just like a good showing in a vacuum, but these are really good signs. These are really good indicators for him potentially sticking, continuing to get an opportunity this year and potentially but uh, beyond. Dwight Braith, 27 years old now. So it's been a long-awaited opportunity and he has been a guy that's bounced around all over the world. And we felt yeah. that the momentum was building. And when you pointed out the three-point volume, so he was 75% from three during the FIBA World Cup, but he only got up 1.6 per game. And this yeah. is why I thought it was great that he he let it fly with these three-pointers in his first NBA appearance because there's been times when I've watched Dwight Braith and I've thought, come on, man, shoot more. Like you've, yeah. you've got a beautiful shot. Let's show the aggression. Let's take the shot. Let's let it fly. And to do that in his first NBA game uh, was huge. And hey, I, I hope, and look, we, we've both spoke with Dwight Reith. And last time I spoke to him, he said, look, I'm at the point in my career where I want to be in the NBA. I understand I'm going to be a role player. So what do I need to do? Knock down threes, run the floor, and crash the glass. So I'm hoping that this is the start of a nice opportunity because I tell you what, if you play on a Portland Trailblazers team that as you pointed to, they're not expected to be in the postseason. Maybe Dwight Reith now becomes a nightly player in the NBA, and then maybe in the offseason, there's a team that is projected to have success that might think, hey, we can really use Dwight Reith as our backup five that can stretch the floor and play defense. So that's where Dwight Reith, still young enough to have a nice NBA career, uh, can really take off. And just with the opportunity stuff, it did make me think of Jack White. You know, he put up Jeez. monstrous numbers in the G League last year, but he was with the Denver Nuggets. And that's, you know, this whole opportunity piece is so big when it comes to the NBA. Even even Xavier Cooks, where he yes, had an opportunity yes. at the end of last season and then a new front office comes in and he's just not their guy. And he was, he was the end of bench guy anyway. So it's like, all right, we just don't need this. So they get rid of him. He's obviously talented. And he's another one, him and Jack White, where I wonder whether they are undersized, um, they have deficiencies in certain places, and what is what is their NBA skill? What are they a lead at that can translate to the NBA? Uh, with Dor Brief, it looks like it can be the shooting. With Xavier Cooks, I wonder what it is. I don't know. Is it the defensive versatility? Is that enough? Same with Jack White. He's he was a solid shooter last season in the G League, but is he a shooter? Is he just an undersized four man? You know what is he at that level? And so. Being able to firstly find that NBA skill and hone in on it and get really good at it and then finding the opportunity and the, the, the team that will take you and embrace you, it, there's so much, there are so many boxes to tick before you get an NBA opportunity. And as long as that's like known out there that being in the NBA isn't necessarily how good you are, um, a lot of it comes down to how old you are, the, and the, the very specific skills and where you are even geographically at, at any point in time and what different teams need at certain times. It's not just a matter of who is really good and who's not really good. It's There are so many things that come into it. And for someone like Jack White, who's just going to continue knocking on the door, he had 24 points and 16 rebounds for the South <laughs> Bay Lakers in the G League uh, just the other day as well. So he's going to continue to put up numbers and he has proven himself that he's probably too good for the G League. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean to your point, that you walk into the NBA. So we'll continue to watch those guys uh, and all the Aussies. And I think as this show continues to roll on through the season, we'll obviously transition into more NBA chat as well once the season settles in and the storylines are formed there. But uh, there's a lot of fun stuff today. I feel like there's a lot of feedback uh, to come from today's show, whether it's NBL MVP, Boomers rankings, uh, and, and the situation in Illawarra, of course. So... Let us know. Let us know your thoughts. Who was right? Who was wrong? There has to be a definitive answer, Ogden. 
It doesn't have to be. I do like that we hit everything <laughs> today. We there we, we hit a uh, we had breaking news. There's just general NBL stuff and the I don't know if we ever got to your question, which I wrote down, um, which was, are we at a point in the NBL season where two where the contenders are really separating themselves from the pack? Uh, my answer is yes. I think it, it does right now seem like Melbourne, Sydney, and then the rest. Um, there is scope for other teams to come into it, but right now it just seems like those two teams are there and probably only going to get better. Um, and so even if other teams get better, it's going to take a lot to catch those guys. Do you? I don't know if you feel the same. Yeah, I've just got Tassie in there. I, I, I'm not going to... I can't be high on Tassie early in the season and then jump off them in, in round seven. I mean, they're still... Oh, no, it's, it's easy. You, know, a, you can just, just not... You can just jump off them. You can use, like, the evidence presented to you and change your, change your mind. We don't flip-flop opinions like that around <laughs> here on the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. We've got a strong take. We stick with it. Uh, Tassie's still a work in, in progress, no doubt, but they just keep winning games. And for the moment, they certainly keep in touch uh, with Melbourne and Sydney there. And as we've pointed to many times, or I certainly have to back up my own thoughts here, Tassie have beaten both of those teams up the top. So we'll see uh, how the NBL season shakes out. Uh, there is too much content to keep up with. So you're going to have to, I don't know, take a sick day, uh, move some, some family <laughs> stuff to the side. And make sure you keep it up with this podcast, the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour Weekly. You've got headline or storyline. You've got Olg's Notebook. That's all on ESPN.com.au. And there's plenty of stuff going on the TV side as well. The NBL, the WNBL on ESPN, the NBA. Uh, nothing but net, as I mentioned. The Jump will be back at some point soon as well. So there's plenty College of content going back. around. Oh, Tyrese Proctor. We didn't even get to him yet. So there is lots going on there on yeah. both sides. The Johnny Furphy the, uh, in Kansas. The there's too much going on. We and but that's why we exist. That's why this exists. We we don't worry. We're gonna we're gonna hit on everything at some point. Don't you worry. We 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 are seeing what Tyrese Proctor is doing, and he's gonna do it too. We see Johnny Furphy killing it at Kansas so far. We see all this stuff. We see what's happening to WNBL, and we're gonna get a check in with Megan Hustle at some point. It's it's all happening. So just. Bear with us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be back with you after a one-week hiatus. We're rolling again. If you haven't done so yet, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Wherever you are listening, turn the notifications on and you'll know exactly when the latest episode drops. Uh, still being recorded on Tuesdays here. And the time can fluctuate. When there's breaking news like a head coaching change in the NBL, you just podcast when you podcast and you get the show out there for the listeners to enjoy. So we'll leave it there for today. For Kane Fitman, Olgan Ulich. This has been the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour.